Welcome to Boobs Aren't Worth Dying For, the podcast dedicated to integrative health and healing from breast cancer and breast cancer treatment using the best of conventional and natural medicine. Your host, Deborah Beaumont, is an advanced practice nurse, functional medicine practitioner, and fellow breast cancer survivor. Hi, welcome to today's episode of Boobs Aren't Worth Dying For. I'm your host, Deborah Beaumont. Before I get to introducing today's guest, I'd like to take a couple of minutes and talk to you about my upcoming group, Beyond Breast Cancer, Reclaiming Your Vibrant Health After You Ring the Bell. This is a group that has been a result of my personal and professional experiences over the last 20 years of dealing with breast cancer. It's really focused on that period of rebuilding we all go through after the bell. Too often, so much of our time and energy, rightly so, is focused on those initial treatments of radiation, surgery, chemotherapy, and and figuring that all out. Too often, I find that women feel like they are going to ring the bell and it's going to be over. And what I have found is that's actually just another phase. And that after that, sometimes issues come up that you didn't experience beforehand because of the physical and emotional reality of dealing with this disease. And yet, I don't find there's a lot of support for recovery. I kind of liken it to going into a war zone after the bombs have dropped and you look at the devastation. Well, there's a period where you have to rebuild. And that's what I'm really focusing this group on is that rebuilding process and how to have practical skills to rebuild, not only to deal with the physical effects of these very toxic and stressful and difficult treatments that we've gone through, but really how to deal with the emotional and psychological and social aftermath of going through this diagnosis and treatment. Because if you've been there, you probably know you're not the same person afterwards that you were before. I really want this to be a supportive and interactive group that really gives you practical skills and takes you through a step-by-step logical way of incorporating self-care and really dealing with a lot of those things that we all need to deal with if we've gone through this process. So the group is going to be an online group. It's going to be limited in number because I want this to be a very interactive group and I want everyone to get a good amount of personal support. I'm interested in talking to women who really feel like this is going to be beneficial for you in your recovery. And I'm excited about the opportunity and I really wanted to talk to you about it today. So if it's something that you feel would be beneficial or you have questions about it, please feel free to contact me at RadicalHealthRN at gmail.com. You can also reach me through my website, which is mindbodynutritionrn.com, but please feel free to reach out by private message and uh, we can schedule a time to talk and I can explain more about the program. So on to today's show. I am really excited to be able to have our guest speak with us today because she is an expert in an area that I think is highly misunderstood and something we all need to know about. Dr. Carrie Jones is an internationally recognized speaker, consultant, and educator on the topic of women's health and hormones. She graduated from the National University of Natural Medicine School of Naturopathic Medicine in Portland, Oregon, where she completed a residency in women's health hormones, and endocrinology. She was adjunct faculty for many years, teaching gynecology and advanced endocrinology and fertility, is now the medical director of Precision Analytical, who are the creators of the Dutch Hormone Test. Before I introduce Dr. Jones, I just want to talk about this Dutch test, which she's going to talk about in much more detail. But I really feel that this is 
an essential test that that every woman would benefit from, whether you're dealing with cancer or not, but particularly if you're trying to make decisions about hormone blocking after acute treatment. Estrogen, estrogen balance, uh, estrogen metabolites, hormones are just an area that is really not comprehensively approached in traditional medicine. And this test is is a multi-page report that looks at all of the hormones in our body and I think is really the best thing that is out there in terms of us understanding what is going on in our bodies. It's the most comprehensive state-of-the-art test I've seen in my practice. And so I'm so excited to be able to have Dr. Jones talk about this in more detail. She is really the expert. Dr. Carrie Jones is an internationally recognized speaker, consultant, and educator on the topic of women's health and hormones. She graduated from the National University of Natural Medicine, School of Naturopathic Medicine in Portland, Oregon, where she completed her two-year residency in women's health, hormones, and endocrinology. She was an adjunct faculty for many years at her school, teaching gynecology and advanced endocrinology and fertility, and has been the medical director for two large integrative clinics in Portland. She is now the medical director for Precision Analytical, creators of the Dutch Hormone Test, which in my humble opinion as a practitioner is the best, most comprehensive hormone testing panel that we have access to. And so I'm so thrilled to be able to welcome Dr. Jones today and can't wait to hear everything she has to share. Well, thank you so much. When you emailed me and told me the title of the podcast, I thought, well, absolutely, I have to do this podcast. The (laughs) the title alone is amazing. (laughs) Well, thank you. you. (laughs) That's that's about 90% of the response. And then some people are like, really? And I'm like, yeah, really? (laughs) Because I want to get your attention. (laughs) It works. It works. (laughs) So um, Dr. Jones, thank you so much for joining us. As I said, I I just, um, I'm so looking forward to this. When I um, thought about uh, our interview today, I, I think back to all the you know very geeky technical classes I've um, listened to with you, and which is really great and available for those of you who are practitioners. But one of the things I really want to talk about is for um, just those of us who are just going through this who are not practitioners, really coming to understand what estrogen means. I think there's few things in medicine that are as one-dimensional and misunderstood as estrogen, estrogen metabolism, and how estrogen affects us good and bad. And so I was really hoping you could talk about estrogen and what we're looking at, because later on when we talk about the test, I know you're going to go into more detail, but I think people really need to understand estrogen from a more 30,000-foot view. Yeah, and I think um, I say this a lot, estrogen really gets vilified, um, which um, as a woman, we need it. We need estrogen. I mean, estrogen is what helps our bones get strong. It helps keep our brain from having you know, brain fog, and it helps to prevent Alzheimer's. Estrogen is what helps um, our skin be you know, healthy and plump and full of collagen. Estrogen helps with you know, our crazy symptoms. You know, estrogen helps right. us, you know, when, it's, when it's in a good range and a good balance, it helps us not be depressed. It helps us not be anxious. It helps, it helps with our motivation. I mean, estrogen is just really important to the female male body. It's why we make so much of it compared to to a guy, right? To a male, but they don't make hardly any estrogen. It's, estrogen is what makes a woman a woman. And I, I completely understand, obviously, given um, the, the reason people are listening to this podcast that many women are probably like, well, except estrogen gave me cancer. I'm like, well, actually... It's, it's estrogen kind of gone rogue. It's estrogen gone wrong. That's in, coupled with a whole lot of other things that, that sort of brought it on. But estrogen by itself, man, it's important. And women know this too. When women get estrogen that's too low, especially 
whether it's from medication that's making it too low or they're, you know, menopausal, they'll make, gosh, I, I went into menopause and everything changed. I have hot mm-hmm. flashes and night sweats and brain fog. And, you know, I'm, my skin looks wrinkly overnight. What happened? I'm like, it's estrogen. It's your loss of estrogen. Right. We do need some. We do need some. Well, I think you uh, bring up a really good point. And it's the first thing that I really try to teach women is that um, estrogen is important to every cell of our body. It's not, it's, we see it as a sex hormone, but it's, it's, uh, it is important to the, the balance of every system of our body. And I think that you can see that as, um, as women age naturally and go into later menopause where there's an increased chance of osteoporosis and bone fracture and cognitive changes and skin changes and all those things we associate with aging, natural aging and late menopause is actually what's happening as we lose estrogen. Right. 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 And so when it comes to um, women who are having to look at estrogen blocking medications, they call it hormone therapy, but it's not. It's anti-hormone therapy. It's estrogen <laughs> blocking therapy. I think it's a, an interesting misnomer. But um, so as women are looking at doing that and, and for those of us, you know, for, for the listeners who are online, I'm talking about tamoxifen, I'm talking about the aromatase inhibitors, which have different um, mechanisms of action in our body. But as we're looking at taking those, we're looking at bringing on premature menopause. That's what the drugs are designed to do. So all of these risk factors go up. Right, exactly. And how many women listening or that you've talked to say that they say, you know, I like they went through chemo. So they already have all the side effects of chemo, like the right. chemo brain and chemo body. And then on top of it, they go in these medications and, um, and then they say, I, I can't recover. I, I feel worse. Or I like, I can't get my brain back or I'm, I'm having all this, you know, bone loss or now I can't sleep. I have hot flashes and night sweats and vaginal dryness and sex hurts. And right. this is, this sucks. I'm like, if you I can know. even get to the point of having sex. I know. know. I yeah. know. Exactly. Like, Unfortunately. I'm so sorry. <laughs> right. Right. Um, and one of the things that, um, that I know that you can speak to and, and probably more as we look at the test more in detail is that there isn't estrogen just isn't one thing. We, we, we in our bodies make different types of estrogen. And as we metabolize them, the metabolites have estrogenic um, effect. So that's where this issue of cancer or less uh, cancer-promoting metabolism comes up. But we also have um, estrogens that are coming into our body that our bodies do not make. And so one of the misunderstandings that I think there is is that you can take a single blood test, test your estrogen level, and know what's happening in your body. Right. Absolutely. And you're just getting what – and there's there's like you said, there are several. So when you get – one blood test, one time looking at one estrogen, you're missing this huge picture, right? You're missing, right. You're missing the 30,000 foot view, which is what you just said earlier. You, you just get this little tiny little screenshot and think, oh, that's, the, that's where it is. That's where I have to focus. And it's like, no, it's so much bigger than that. Well, and it's interesting because when I try to talk to people about traditional doctor may look at, which is that one blood test, as opposed to a functional practitioner who is looking at all these, the interconnected interplay of all of these things. I think that that is where the rubber meets the road in terms of management. And unfortunately, I don't think a lot of 
traditional doctors are using the kind of testing that you're an expert and speaker in, which is the Dutch test or the, the uh, hormone and hormone metabolism that the Dutch test looks at. I don't think most traditional doctors are doing that. They don't. And it's, and it's not because they, they just, they just weren't taught it, right? They weren't taught it in school. And they, and then, so when they graduate and they practice, they're taught, like you just look at one estrogen, estradiol, which is E2, and that's it. And everything gets based on estradiol. Instead of looking at the other estrogens, the pathways that estrogens go down, you know, really to see if some of these medications or even like future prevention, you know, women who, who have had estrogen positive cancers or estrogen related cancers, and they'll go, I don't, I never want that again. How do I prevent that? And then their doctor's like, well, we just look at this one test when things like the Dutch tests, I can say, here's, here's a thing. You go down this pathway, it's the bad pathway or, or, oh no, look, you're going down the good pathway. That's the pathway to go down. So you get a, you get a much bigger picture. One of the nicest things for me as a practitioner, and, and the first time I had a Dutch test and one of the, uh, your consultants was helping me interpret that, it was my own test. He said, oh, you must be taking DIM um, because, you know, I see this this pathway is, is working well. I loved that. I love the fact that I could be taking a supplement and doing something and it could actually be measured, you know, and, yeah. and there was actually objective information coming back that it was, that it was supporting me. Fortunately, I would, you know, I'm going down a less, less carcinogenic pathway. And it's like, great, that's what the whole thing is. So <laughs> I, I, I think that that's the beauty of this test. And so, you know, I really want to emphasize that this is, this is a beautiful tool and I, and I really want to take some time here just to let you talk about the many things that this test offers, because it's not even just estrogen and estrogen metabolites. I mean, it, 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 it actually comes out to be a multi-page report of so many things that, that can help us make treatment decisions. So I'm hoping you could tell us more about the Dutch test in particular. Yes. Yeah, so the Dutch, everyone says Dutch test. Is that test for Dutch heritage? I'm like, no, no, it's not a, it's not an ancestry, <laughs> maybe, not maybe an ancestry not. test. Uh, it is, it's an acronym. So it's dried urine test for comprehensive hormones. And then everyone says dried urine. That's weird. So instead of getting your blood drawn, or I'm sure a lot of people might be familiar with like saliva testing where you spit in a tube. Um, this is a dried urine test. And so what you do is you urinate on, on a piece of filter paper and you let it dry and you mail it back to the lab. And from the filter paper, because it's a urine test, we can pull all the hormones and then we can pull all of these, we call them metabolites or the hormones as they go through the pathways. We pull those and we can say, look, here's your estrogen, but here's the direction that it heads. Now we can do it with other hormones too, like things like testosterone. We can tell you which direction your testosterone is heading or your one of your adrenal hormones, DHEA. And so it's a neat test to get not only your baseline, but like I said, like where is it going? And if you're not going down the route you should be going, like you knew you were going down the less carcinogenic route, like, you know, woohoo, you're, it was working. Like what you were doing was working. And if, and if it wasn't, if you talk to, uh, if you talk to that doctor who was, we actually, it's funny, we only have one guy doctor. So I know who you're, Dr. Hyatt. Yeah. Is who you're to. I know, he's, he's like my good friend now. I talk to him yeah. all the time. People will say, they're like, well, I talked to a guy. I'm like, well, we only have one. So I know who it is. He's, yeah, he's great. I love him. He's, he's amazing. And so, so that's why he could look at that, look at your form or look at your results and go, oh, yep, you're, look at that. You're is working. And thankfully, 
this the dim, the supplement you were taking, um, is it, it works quickly. I mean, it works in like a week or two. It's not one of those supplements where you have to wait three to four months to just to see if it'll kick in. Like we will know right away if it's working or if it's not. Well, and it's really interesting because I think if there's one supplement that that women dealing with breast cancer have heard about, if they've gone that route to want to look at supplements as dim. But yeah, as I've recently heard you say in an interview, it's not the end all be all. There are so many other things that we need to look at. Dim is not a magic cure for everything, but it certainly helps in one aspect, estrogen metabolism. And this is a fine point that I think that regular doctors don't talk about. We're talking about the estrogen in your body, but your body has to metabolize it in order to use it. And then your body puts off byproducts and that's, you know, the the metabolized and that's what we're, we're looking at. So the test, this Dutch test, this is a level of specific information and specificity that doctors don't have when it comes to some of these hormone blocking drugs that they're offering. They can't tell you how how those are working or measure. You know, there's a there's I've been reading more about tamoxifen resistance. You know, it, it's mm-hmm. it's not universally effective for every woman. So, but they don't have this level of specificity to be able to look at this and say, well, this is what your body is doing with it. And yet we have that in the Dutch test. Well, even we have a lot, we have a number of women that are on tamoxifen and do the Dutch test. So they're seeing practitioners who are maybe more into functional medicine and oncology. And so they'll say, I have a woman, she's on tamoxifen or or some sort of similar medication. And can I do the Dutch test? I'll say, yeah, absolutely. Because it's not a zero block, right? Like tamoxifen does not a hundred percent stop all estrogen forever out of the body. So whatever little bit that does get through and can still go down the wrong pathway. So you may be on tamoxifen thinking it's going to prevent future cancer. And while it does block estrogen, the estrogen that you do have that is binding is still going down the wrong pathway. So not only do you have to, are you on tamoxifen, but now you have to do something about the fact that you're going down the wrong pathway. And maybe, maybe if you worked with your doctor and said, hey, look, I'm going down the wrong pathway. Can we start there first? Can we adjust my pathways and then see how things go. Right. Might, might right. work for some women, not all women, but might for some. Well, that is one of the beauties of finding somebody who is educated and versed in this test, which is really um, more often than not somebody who takes a functional medicine approach, because that's what we do. We look at the, you know, the imbalances underneath. It doesn't mean your doctor doesn't know that or couldn't be educated. But this is something that if you, I'm saying if you don't get an automatic positive response from your doctor, (laughs) shut down the conversation. You just may need to find somebody more skilled in this. You know, it just may not be where your doctor lives in terms of his knowledge or what they're recommending. Right, exactly. And that's fine, right? Like it's some, if they have their specialty is in one area and if you need to branch out or have a team, right, a team of practitioners who can help or somebody's helping you with Things like this, like the Dutch test and somebody else is managing, you know, medications and follow-ups and someone else is managing other things, thyroid and gut and nutrition, like, then go for it. It's your health. We only, we only get one life, as we know. So, Well, you know, it's, it, I have gotten uh, emails in, in the last week, actually, as I was making it known that I was doing this, asking me if I can help them with this test or, you know, access the test and interpret it, which is certainly something that I can do and something that, that there are providers who can do that. As you said, it can just be a piece, even if your, your primary provider doesn't do that. Right. Hopefully, they would be open to the information you learn from it. That's, that's where the rubber meets the road, you know, whether they're 
open to working in a team, but just feel like this information is so valuable. And I think in the most basic way is that there is nothing that takes your personal sense of power and trust in your body away than getting a cancer diagnosis. Right. fear and the overwhelm, not only as you're going through treatment and making these life-altering decisions, but even afterwards, that fear of it coming back, there's just that fear that wakes you up in the middle of the night when you have a a cramp in your leg and you're like, oh my God, the cancer's back, you know, and, and it's just so disempowering that if nothing else, just for women to know their own bodies and to know that there are things that I can do and this test measures that and can tell me if I'm on the right track or not, I just think the peace of mind that comes from that is invaluable. Agreed. Agreed. Yep, absolutely. One of the things that the actual test covers much more than just estrogen and hormone metabolism, but it it also does a a really beautiful cortisol profile, which is another highly misunderstood (laughs) hormone in terms of testing. But I think the other thing is that people don't understand the interplay between adrenal exhaustion, which of course happens as people go through treatment, and cortisol levels and how that's affecting our overall hormone picture and how there's an interplay. It's not that cortisol exists in the right side of my body and estrogen exists in the left side. So, um, <laughs> we're only that easy. <laughs> exactly. But, you know, but I think that that's, I, I speak as a nurse. I mean, I've looked at, you know, millions of lab tests. That's kind of how it is. Oh no, this is high and low. And, and it's like, well, but you have to look at how it relates to these other things, but that's just not in the world of specialists. That's not how our traditional system operates. Right. And I was going to say that a lot of practitioners, you know, a lot of traditionally trained doctors will run maybe, maybe, they'll run a cortisol. They'll draw your blood and do a cortisol in the morning. And that's it. When in fact, our our cortisol works on a rhythm through the day. It's supposed to be higher in the morning to get your your booty out of bed and and do a whole lot of other things. It's anti-inflammatory. It helps reduce autoimmune risk. It helps with blood sugar. It It does a lot. And then it's supposed to drop down through the day. And if you're not testing through the day, you know, most, um, most like the, like our tests, the Dutch tests and even saliva tests, they, they have these multi points where you collect because we need to see what your pattern is. And one of the reasons, especially with cancer is we see men and women who have a flatlined cortisol. If their cortisol does not spike up in the morning and then drop down, that flatline is a high risk of cancer reoccurrence. Because you don't get that boost, you don't get that anti-inflammation, you don't get that that support for your immune system by immune system by having the cortisol up in the morning. So sometimes when you know men too, men you know especially prostate cancer, there's good research on it for that. But women with breast cancer, they'll do the Dutch test or they'll say, "I just finished treatment" or "I'm two years post treatment," and I'll look and I'll go, "Ooh, girl, we have got to fix your adrenals because you're in the whole excess. It's called the HPA axis." The hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis, because I know per research, it's a higher risk for reoccurrence. So we got to look, right? We got to look at the whole thing and, and not miss it. Well, it's interesting that you bring that up because more specifically, um, I uh, really focus on working with women who I say are recovering from breast cancer and recovering from breast cancer treatment because mm-hmm. the whatever treatment you you decide on, it has effects. And like you said, 
I, I can think of three women very recently who have come into my office, one of them being so exhausted that she barely made it through the, you know, 45 minute session. I mean, she looked like she was going to pass out. I was like, mm. you know, but it, it was this, this chronic exhaustion, you know, that deep, profound exhaustion, I can't function is probably one of the most common complaints that women have six months, a year, two years, three years out of treatment. For me, that's that's not only about cancer, but that's really about this adrenal piece, which doesn't get addressed. It's like you, you've you yeah. just become a cancer diagnosis. So the first thing, really what I do with everyone is I do um, a comprehensive lab panel and I want to see that adrenal thyroid function because I think adrenal and hypothyroid function is so frequently missed. Um, yes, and it's it, so frequently induced Induced, that you yeah. find by by cancer treatment, and so you you know you that you need the treatment, and then you come out of it, and now those glands are like, phew, <laughs> right, right, they've just been, they've under been crashed, right, yeah, they've been throttled, and and now it's like, okay, your treatment is done, you are in remission, like go live your life, but you're so tired because nobody's done anything to nourish those glands. Right, right. Well, you know, that's what I, you know, I, I frequently will tell people, you know, treatment doesn't end the day you ring the bell. You know, it's a big event, <laughs> you know, to ring the chemo bell and like, but you, if you can't make it to the car, you know, and, and uh, this is actually one of the reasons I got very interested in looking at, at breast cancer recovery is that I was in a support group and so many women were like, you know, I finished treatment last week or two weeks ago or you know, three months ago, and, and I thought I would feel better. And, you know, in some way they do, but, but I'm so exhausted, I can barely function. Mm -hmm. I was like, wow, what's happening here? And I think there's a couple of reasons for that. When we go back to adrenal function, I think when you're in treatment as, as difficult and frightening and what an ordeal that is, at least you can muster some amount of resources. There's mm -hmm. that boogeyman to fight. You're, you're doing treatment and you're fighting cancer and, you know, and, and that's a very, uh, sort of like the feeling of anger. It's a very energizing emotion. And then when you ring the bell, all of a sudden it's like, okay, what now? Right. You know? And right. and I think there's an, an emotional and a physical letdown, letdown. that people are not yep. prepared for. Yep. It's like I tell people this is a very crude or simple and crude analogy. It's like think back to college days, you know, you would you would push and push and push through finals and right. then you would go home for spring break or you'd go home for Christmas and what happens? You got sick. Exactly. You were so tired and you thought, what the heck? I, I just pushed and pushed and pushed and made it through finals. And now I want to enjoy my spring break or my Christmas. And instead, here I am on the couch, super exhausted. I'm like, yeah, because you, you have literally just ridden the wave of fight or flight, of adrenaline, and, and your body can do it. Your body can muster and, and pull for you. And then the minute it knows you don't have to do it anymore, it is done. It will crash. And that's which, what women which is say. The they feel it. That is the layman's, you know, average interpretation of what we call adrenal insufficiency. Right. You know, it, it's like we have that energy at a cost. Our adrenal glands, our, our body is gearing up and we're pumping out cortisol and epinephrine and trying to deal with that stressor, but it can only do that for so long. Um, right. I was a pediatric ICU nurse for many years and it's it's amazing people would be like how can you work with babies but the most amazing thing to watch about babies is they they have more limited ability when they get they get respiratory problems and so you get this little baby come in and they'd just be working so hard and they'd be breathing so fast and they were 
amazing at compensating. But literally, when they were done compensating, they crashed. Mm -hmm. It was from one breath to the next. They could be breathing 80 times a minute, and then it was nothing. Mm -hmm. And, And that's what I see happening as women go through treatment because there are a few things physically and emotionally that are going to push you and challenge your body, like these treatments that we are going through. And your body has this amazing ability to compensate and adapt until it can't. And when it can't, it crashes big. Yep. And it starts with the brain because the adrenals only do what they're told. They're not a self-governing gland. Um, They they move at the direction of the brain. And so if your brain um, the hypothalamus and the pituitary, but like mentally, think mentally, mentally, like you're in chemo and you're in all these sessions and you're working with your doctor and everything's about, you know, go and fight and, and live life. And so your brain's getting all these messages and then you ring the bell and it's like, then the brain's like, oh, we don't do this anymore. Like there's no more chemo. There's no more. Oh, okay. Well then I'm done. Right. <laughs> I, right. I pushed and pushed and pushed because you told me to. And, and now you've rung the bell literally and figuratively and and then it's it stops it doesn't stop stop but it like it slows the communication to the adrenals and says all right take a break like we're done and unfortunately symptoms are at stake we feel tired well you know it's, I, I'm, that's a wonderful i'm going to i'm going to steal that line from you Go adrenals, for it. <laughs> adrenals only do what they're told i mean that's what a what a wonderful way to talk about it to understand what's happening because you also emotionally have that let down and sometimes the depression and the anxiety starts creeping in where you didn't have time for it before. Mm-hmm. So all of a sudden, your brain is going from fight, 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 fight to I don't want to, I can't move. But that can be the emotional response to everything. Yes. So so it's, it's just, it just seems like, um, you know, like a tag team kind of thing. So it really goes back to taking this mind-body approach. And the thing about adrenal recovery is it's not just a matter of taking a supplement or changing your diet. It's really about learning to sleep well at night, learning to handle stress, you know, learning to do some some uh, simple meditations that help you calm your mind. The thing about adrenal recovery is it's not just take a pill and make it right. better. But everyone thinks that, right? How many people have come to you and said, I'm so tired, what can I take? I'm like, no, right. you're so tired. We need to, we need to make some serious life adjustments. And I know it definitely sucks, especially coming out of treatment, out of chemo, out of this whole fight thing for, you know, weeks to months. And all of a sudden I'm like, okay, now I need you to rest. They're like, well, that's what I've been doing. I'm like, no, I right. know. <laughs> but right. it, now you're in phase two. Like phase two is now we need to get your body, you know, healthy again, like regenerated again and, and, and rejuvenated. And you have to, just like you said, like you have to get good sleep and you have to eat healthy and you have to say no, and you have to set boundaries and you, you literally have nothing in your bank and we need to put deposits in your bank for quite a while before you can spend them. One of the things I, I hear frequently is this is sometimes an opportunity and it's sometimes a challenge Mm -hmm. um, that uh, you may have been living your life in a way where you've put everybody else first. It's a very common thing that women do, spouses and husbands and jobs and friends and, and kids. And then all of a sudden, you're put in a situation where not only do you need to put yourself first, but you may not even know how to ask, how to say no, how to say, mm-hmm. I can't do that. You know, the, the expectations of I'm not going to be a good friend or whatever else come up. So it can be, it's one thing to talk about it. But, you know, for someone who may have not ever been in a position in their lives, 
to put themselves first. That that you know, I mean, I, I think that's an overused phrase, but really, when you're going through cancer treatment, you know, it could literally be when a friend asks. I one of the other um, episodes I've recorded is ten things not to say to a cancer survivor. <laughs> you know, it's, it's not helpful, but there are actually things that are helpful, and it's not, not like you have to you know give someone a massage, but make dinner. So you know, maybe mm-hmm. they don't have to make dinner for everyone. There are some very simple day-to-day things that you can do or actually ask people to do that can help take some of that pressure and performance expectation off. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And the other thing that I've had some patients tell me is they've gotten through cancer treatment and then like peripheral people or acquaintance people or, you know, maybe people they knew at work and and knew they were going through cancer treatment, but they didn't know all the details. Like once the cancer treatment is done, those people will say, okay, well, now that you're done, now that you're over with treatment, like, let's get you back on this project or let's get you back in this, or let's get you volunteering again at the school. It's like, no, 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 no. Like if, if it, if it makes your heart sing and that's what you want to do and it feels very therapeutic for you, then do it. But if you dread it and you think, oh gosh, that's okay. Okay. I have to do this. Then the answer is no. (laughs) If it's not a yes, it's a no. (laughs) Or when are you going to be back to yourself? Which means when are you going to start doing for me all the things you used to do for me? Yes. Yes. That might be never. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, One of the things that I just wanted to highlight for our listeners uh, that I think is the beauty of the Dutch test when you referred earlier to the... um, multi-samples that you take during the day when you pee on these strips, uh, which uh, <laughs> the biggest the biggest challenge that I actually heard from a client of mine recently is my dog ate the strip. Yeah, I was just going to say, <laughs> we've had, yeah, it's amazing the number of funny things that people call in with. Yeah, my dog <laughs> ate it. We had one where like my kid took it, you know, like, yeah, my, my dog yeah, ate it. The funniest things. But the one thing, you know, once again, going back to how people approach this, especially when it comes to the the kind of cortisol testing that is done in the Dutch and that is reflective of your adrenal function, is that it's really important not just to know what it is in the morning. As you said, it could be flatlined. But what frequently happens when you're at more advanced stages of adrenal insufficiency is it may be low in the morning, but it may be spiking at night because your body is just not regulating very well. And that's going to, you know, if you're getting a cortisol spike at 11 o'clock at night, that's not going to allow you to sleep. So it once again goes back to this, are you sleeping well through the night, which is going to affect your overall levels, and it just becomes a vicious cycle, really. I can tell you for anybody out there who are are night shift workers, this is a huge issue. I was a I was a night nurse for over 30 years, and I think it was one of the major reasons I've gone through cancer is because it completely shatters your whole internal circadian rhythm for all the hormones in our body. But even to this day, I have to be really careful. I I don't work nights anymore. But if I'm up after 11, my body just goes into this automatic, I'm awake till three in the morning kind of thing, you know, and this can be one of the most difficult things for people to change. And it seems really simple, but getting people to go to bed and get good solid rest is, you know, they're like, no, that's where I do all my work or the kids go to sleep or that's when I get my private time. And it's, if there's one thing that people can do to help normalize their cortisol rhythm, it's to really look at what your body is doing. When are you at a low point? Is it at the right time, which is bedtime, is highest in the morning and find out what your body's doing um, to help you understand how to normalize that. Yeah, especially, and even getting the test or not, the number one thing I tell people, which I am 100% guilty of, is get off your phone. 
Yes. You have to get off. I mean, the research on the blue light emitted from phones, tablets, e-readers, computers, things like that is just, it's just so shocking and so crazy because our society now is, is a hundred percent, you know, tech uh, dependent We're tech addicted. And so we go to bed and what do we do? We read on our phone before bed or we read our e-reader or tablet or what have you. And in all that light emitted from the phone then suppresses melatonin. Melatonin is made in partly in the brain and mostly in your gut, but partly in your brain. And it's a really important antioxidant. And if you've had cancer, then you know, like you need your antioxidants. You need that to help try to combat, especially for, you know, reoccurrence. And then when your melatonin goes down, your cortisol goes up because that blue light signals to your, to your brain, like the sun is out. And so you, the, the body goes, oh, oh, the sun is out. Oh, it must be morning. So it starts to increase the cortisol. And so sure, people say, well, what supplement can I take? I'm like, what you can do is get off your phone or your phone. you can buy, I mean, this is the cheater method. This is what I call, you know, the quote biohacker method, but it's not great. Um, those red lights, or red lights, red glasses, you know, the red lensed right. glasses, the blue light blocking glasses, and they're, they're not sexy. They're, they're not cute, but that's, they have that red tint to them to cut out um, the, the, the bright blue light that comes out of your phone and tablet and whatnot. So I tell people, Hey, put them on, put them on at about seven o'clock at night, eight o'clock at night. And, and even in your, when you're walking around the house, watching TV, whatever, putting the kids to bed, doing dishes, wrapping things up for the night, because you want the light coming in your eyes, not to be bright. You don't want to signal to your brain to make cortisol. In fact, you want the opposite. You want the signal for cortisol to go down and melatonin to go up. And that will significantly help with sleep. And then the other thing with melatonin and sleep that I think people don't realize is the body repairs in the night. And so right. the hormone, one of the big hormones is called growth hormone that comes out. And I equivalent growth hormone to like a scrubbing bubbles. It comes out and it goes through and repairs, you know, all, all your cells in your body. So if you're not sleeping well, if you can't fall asleep, you can't stay asleep, you have restless sleep, you don't hit your deep sleep, like you're, you're not going to make growth hormone and now you can't repair and now you're at risk and and that's not healthy well interestingly um in terms of supplements there's also a significant amount of data showing that melatonin is actually one of the things you can that uh you can use from a more natural perspective that has an effect on decreasing cancer cell growth so yes. if you're interested in what you can do preventative, melatonin actually uh, also in a positive way decreases some of the growth signaling that cancer cells use. So it's a, it's a, um, it has many beneficial uses for women who are going through this. Um, and and what's funny, I get a lot of, I don't know if you do, but I get a lot of um, uh, flack from people, not practitioners, but I think people, you know, myths just sort of perpetuate themselves. But I will say something about melatonin and people will go, Oh, you can't you can't recommend melatonin. You, that causes rebound insomnia. You know melatonin causes rebound insomnia. I'm like, well, it causes one of the big reasons it causes rebound insomnia is that you never address the cause, which is you didn't get your cortisol down. So right. you take melatonin, which is fine, and but it's it's not it's not um, retraining your body to put your cortisol down at night. You're just overriding with a supplement. So if you do go off the supplement and you never fix the problem, which was you make high cortisol at night, then of course you're going to have rebound insomnia. But if you take melatonin and, and you address the cause, you go to bed earlier, you get off your phone, you 
use the blue light blocking glasses, you have a wind down routine, you, whatever you do at night, meditate, write your gratitude journal. Then when you do go off of melatonin, hopefully, um, your body, like it's fixed because you, you address the cause, you got your cortisol down. Right, right. And actually on the Dutch, um, you could speak to this better, but, but actually measuring melatonin is one of the uh, hormones that is measured on the Dutch. It is. It is. And it's really confusing for a lot of people because we pull melatonin, um, again, the Dutch is a, is a urine test. So we pull the melatonin off of the more, or excuse me, the waking sample. And so many people say, well, melatonin is not high at waking, it's high at night. Why don't you do it at night? But because it's a urine test, what we're doing is you're making melatonin all through the night. And then when you get rid of it, you put it in your bladder. And then when you wake up first thing in the morning, you pee out all your melatonin and that's where we collect it. So even though it's a waking sample, we're pulling everything in the bladder that's happened overnight. And that's how we can get it. Right. So, you know, as I said, um, the Dutch covers so much that it, there's no way to present it all in an hour. But, um, you know, I think we've hit the three big ones. But one of the other things that I want to bring up and let our listeners know, uh, as we talked about measuring estrogen, the Dutch also measures androgens, things that we consider to be male sex hormones, progesterone, which is also a highly controversial topic in the whole world of cancer treatment and cancer recovery. The thing that I really wanted to make sure that we got in was aromatase inhibitors, Mm -hmm. which is a more aggressive level of blocking estrogen. Uh, How women who are taking aromatase inhibitors could look at the measures in the Dutch test and how that could help them uh, in terms of understanding what's going on. Absolutely. So I'll I'll take I'll put that in two parts actually. So first, I'll just briefly explain um, sort of those pathways I was talking about. So the body makes um, two main big main kind of estrogens. E1 is called estrone, and E2, which is called estradiol, and they can convert back and forth to each other. And then when the body's done with them and it needs to detox them, you go through phase one and phase two detox. So in phase one detox you have three options. You have three doors you can go down, three pathways. One is called the 2, 2-OH or 2-hydroxy pathway. The other is the 4 pathway and the other is the 16 pathway. And just like you were saying earlier, um, the 2 pathway is what's considered the less carcinogenic. That's, that's why the supplement um, DIM or methane works well. It pushes that 2 pathway. The 4 pathway is what's considered a whole lot more carcinogenic if it goes it turns tail and goes down what's called a, a quinone pathway, which starts with a Q, quinone. And so if four goes down that quinone pathway, that's where you are at risk for DNA damage. You get you get um, kind of get holes in your DNA. And when your DNA repair system can't keep up with the amount of holes that happen, or if the DNA repair system screws up and, and corrects the DNA incorrectly, then you get DNA mutation and you get a high risk for cancer. And then the 16, the 16 used to be really heavily implicated in in estrogen cancers. And it turns out that's not quite so true anymore, but it is a proliferative, um, we call it gross things, form of estrogen. And so it's great for bones. We need to grow bones. Um, bad if you have breast cancer, it can make the breast cancer grow. So mm-hmm. it's, it's, like, a, it's like, a, like a balance you need. So that's phase one. And then you move to phase two. And phase two is where the body makes it um, 
water soluble, which is so you can get rid of it. So you can either out in your stool or, or out in the urine and, and then it's neutralized. Once it goes through phase two, it's neutralized and poof, it should be gone. Hopefully get out of the body. So when people are on um, aromatase inhibitors, then you are blocking the ability to, to make estrogen from testosterone. Those, those male type hormones can turn into estrogen in your body and aromatase, aromatase inhibitors block that. And so what I tell women on, on aromatase inhibitors, and it's kind of a twofold. One, if you're going to start an aromatase inhibitor, if your oncologist says, all right, you know, like in, in whatever, a week, two weeks, a month, like you, we're, the, we're getting to the point where you're going to have to go on an aromatase inhibitor, you can do a Dutch test pre-aromatase inhibitor and see what your estrogens look like then and what pathways you're going down. So I have a lot of patients that opt to do that. Now, the other option is women will say, well, I'm on an aromatase inhibitor and I've been on it for months and sometimes years. What do I do now? I'm like, well, still, you can still do a Dutch test. Yes, absolutely. And we can still see with the, with the estrogen that does get made, which pathway it's going down to help support you there as well. Now, some will ask, can I stop my aromatase inhibitor? Can I stop it and get, quote, a baseline and see? And I'm like, you, you, you can, but you got to work with the oncologist for that because you have to stop it some, usually for a couple weeks. So at least we generally say a couple weeks to a month um, because we need you to get back to, we need the aromatase inhibitor essentially to wear off is what we need it to do. And then you can do the Dutch test. But most women tend to do it prior to testing or excuse me, prior to their aromatase inhibitor or they do it while they're on it. And some women do both. Some women who know about the Dutch test or they're working with a functional practitioner who is who does oncology and is uses the Dutch test, they'll say, all right, let's do it before and after. You're going to do it before, we're going to put you on it, and then six months later, we'll do it after with support in between. Because the great thing is with those pathways that I talked about, there's a lot of natural um, and you know dietary ways we can help push the right pathways. You, Dim being one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Dim being one of them. Dim being one of them, but it's not the only one. And don't everyone no. listening run out and buy Dim because there exactly. are some caveats to Dim. There are, <laughs> and make you worse in some yeah. cases. And you want to add Brussels sprouts too. Um, but, That's my favorite. And, um, and flaxseed. <laughs> and broccoli. Um, and broccoli. And broccoli sprouts, yes. And uh, Brussels sprouts, uh, which I've, I, my, my challenge this month is to find many different ways to prepare Brussels sprouts. So, oh, they're um, my favorite. I love Brussels sprouts. I do too. And, uh, but, you know, but figuring out yummy ways to like make them, it's, it's been kind of fun, but I could actually eat them like, se- and do eat them several times a week. It, it's, yeah. uh, it, and so many people just like, nah, Brussels sprouts. But uh, I had a friend who used to call them turtle heads. I'm like, doesn't help. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. Well, and the other really good thing is, um, which, so the, the broccoli, like you were saying, broccoli, kale, Brussels sprouts, that's all in a family called cruciferous vegetables. And the cruciferous vegetables are high in that DIM, that supplement, right. the diendomethane. But broccoli sprouts, broccoli sprouts themselves, so sprouted broccoli seeds, are high in a different com- constituent. So they're actually high in they're actually high in these two enzymes. One is called glucoraphanin and the other is called morosinase. And when they combine, they magically form this other enzyme called sulforaphane. And sulforaphane helps stop the four pathway. So while DIM will shift you towards the two pathway, broccoli sprouts and all these little ingredients in broccoli sprouts, sprouted broccoli, will help block the four pathway. You have a, you actually have a genetic uh, SNP called quinone reductase or QR, and QR makes the enzyme quinone reductase, and um, sulforaphane helps promote that to stop your four pathway. 
Right. So it's a good one. And it's actually, it's, it's really helpful for um, sort of all things estrogen. So heavy periods, tender breasts, PMS. So, you know, women who still have those symptoms, it can be helpful. Right. I've, I've uh, <clears throat> just recently had so many women contacting me with PCOS, which I think is becoming like the most second to, you know, uh, PMS becoming such a common problem. And Agreed. it's really... Yeah really looking at this whole pathway and, and regulating that. And you kind of referred to a couple of things that I just want to highlight for our listeners. This comes up a lot about um, aromatase inhibitors. So I just want our listeners to understand aromatase is an enzyme in our body that converts testosterone, that traditionally male hormone, into estrogen. And there are a lot of things that affect that, but uh, that doesn't happen in the ovaries. That happens in fat tissue. It happens in other places in our body. So for women who are going through saying that they're going to have a hysterectomy or have their ovaries removed to control their, their estrogen production... That's where the bulk of our estrogen comes from when we're premenopausal, but when we go into go through menopause, that that's not where the bulk of it's coming from. And actually, a bulk of where it's being produced is back to our lovely adrenal glands. So once again, really important to understand that cortisol connection because the burden of proof now goes to the adrenal glands. And if we're in adrenal insufficiency, that's not going to work really well. And aromatase inhibitors really act on that enzyme that really comes from fat tissue. So it doesn't really act at the ovary level. And I think most people just assume estrogen is coming from our ovaries. And at a certain point in our life, it is, but it changes. You know, and I think that's important for people to understand. And one and of the- that, that same, I just wanted to add a, like a little like pearl for people. That's also the reason that unfortunately women tend to gain weight around menopause right. because the, it's a very, um, well, I say old, it's a very old, like built in thing that our body does that to, to always give us estrogen is it says, oh, you're heading into menopause. I know this. So I'm going to give you an extra, you know, five, five to 20 pounds of fat around your middle because you can use aromatase to make estrogen in your fat tissue. Now, unfortunately, this, this very old, you know, sort of built-in female body thing that happens does not take into account your current weight. So if you already have a little bit of fat around your belly, like it doesn't take that into account and say, oh no, she has, she has fat. Like I don't, we don't need to make more. And it does not take into account other estrogens. So like, um, the fake estrogen, um, that are in our environment, like from plastics and things like that. It doesn't take that into account either. It just says, oh, she's getting to the age where I know she's about to be menopausal. Poof, let's put on 15 pounds on top of what you already have. It's super not fair. And when I am goddess of the universe, I will change it. <laughs> you are goddess. But, but I can't change this one thing. And that's the one thing I want to change. <laughs> not, not the one. There's many things. But so that's why when women go, why did I gain all this weight? I changed nothing. I'm like, because right. you make estrogen out of it. And it's, it's a primitive thing that's in your body. That's The body says, well, you need estrogen to maintain your femaleness. So we're going to put weight on. So you maintain your femaleness, except we tend to already have extra fat. <laughs> like, right. we have right. even abundance of estrogen in our environment. Like we don't need extra estrogen. We're good. Well, I think it really comes back to, you know, where we started this, which is the essential role that estrogen plays in our body. It's not just something that affects our periods and our sex drive. It, it plays a role in every part of our body and it's essential. And this is how our bodies operate to make sure we have that essential hormone. Mm-hmm. And too often it's vilified and made to be the enemy, you know, and, and we, uh, 
it, it could be, it will be separate episodes, but we haven't even gotten into the whole role of xenoestrogens and fake estrogens and how that's um, affecting our body, but that all plays a role. We now have this epidemic of what we call estrogen dominance mm-hmm. because we're being exposed to artificial estrogens from chemicals and plastics and you know, all sorts of things in our food and, you know, things that are, uh, actually, I want to make that really clear. I'm not saying that um, the natural phytoestrogens in food is not what I'm referring to. I'm talking about the pesticides that are sprayed mm-hmm. on our food. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there's there's this whole estrogen dominance thing. So like in my personal case, I think I told you before we started, I was told in the midst of my treatment, well, your estrogen level from that one morning blood test is high, you should have your ovaries removed. And I was like, I'm not doing an elective surgery on top of everything else. (laughs) But um, now, you know, I didn't understand all these nuances at the time. And now I understand that even if I had gone through that, it would have made my experience of menopause that much worse because it really would have been shocking to the body. Um, But it wouldn't have fixed the problem anyway because I deal with weight and, you know, I would still be making estrogens. The estrogen they were measuring that was so high, I was already in menopause. So it really wasn't an ovary production. It was coming from fat and from other sources. So for women who are looking at that and their doctors are like, well, go and have your uterus and your ovaries removed, that may not fix the problem because that's not where it's being produced when we're in menopause pause anyway. Right. And, and, and that is really one key difference, I think, between traditional medicine and what you and I are talking about in this functional realm is really understanding that process. And I don't know all the reasons for it, but this is not how doctors approach this. This is not how they're trained. And they, they just may not even understand these nuances that we're talking about. Right. Well, and unfortunately, yeah, it's like basic physiology. It's amazing the number of times working for in, for this lab that I explain physiology to provide practitioners, right? Whether it be a doctor or, or you know, physician's assistant, nurse practitioner. And, and when I explain it to them, they're like, oh yeah, I had a class on that. I'm like, I know it's just, it's just not hammered in for you in school because everything is surgical or medication. So if you have a thyroid problem, you don't need to understand the nuances of how the thyroid functions in the body. All you need to know is what dose of thyroid medication to put them on. And, and it's, it's sort of the same here, or at least right? that's what they believe. <laughs> right, right, <laughs> exactly. But that's what they're right. trained. That's what they're trained, exactly, exactly. But if I were to say, like, well, can you actually explain thyroid physiology to me? They're like, ooh, um, yeah. like yeah. I had that class. I'm like, oh, I know. And, you know, this is, this is really where there's a split in the road, depending on how someone chooses to approach their health from traditional standpoint. And for better or worse, like, you know, I tell people, if you're coming in and you're having a heart attack, I'm not going to prescribe an herbal tea. Mm-hmm. I'm going to send you to the emergency room. There are, you know, when you get a new di- cancer diagnosis, you need that medical information to make an informed choice. It just may not be the only information. You right. Know, and, right. And, there's a time and a place, right? There's a time and a place. Right. And unfortunately, we live in a world, I mean, I was telling my husband last night, I'm of an age where, you know, I remember Marcus Welby being on TV when I was a kid. Probably you don't, but I do. You know, <laughs> and, and, you know, we're trained in this, um, it's, it's kind of doctor knows best, daddy knows best. And we're, I can't tell you how many, my doctor hasn't told me that, or my doctor said this. And it's just the hardest thing in the world to explain to someone, this is a very specific one view opinion without I'm not trashing doctors. They they are knowledgeable on what they're knowledgeable about. But they, you know, but this this new understanding of the body, I mean, when I think in the last 20 years, 
in just, you know, as an ICU nurse, what we've come to understand about uh, psychiatric care and medications and, and these antidepressants that are, no, uh, are so common and how they're affecting us and how we've come to understand, you know, this new frontier of, of, you know, the hallmarks of cancer, which was originally published in like 2000. It's less than 20 years ago, but it revolutionized our understanding of how cancer operates in our body. Having tests like the Dutch, coming to understand more completely hormonally how our bodies, you know, it's a, it's a dance of hormones. All of that is kind of like the cutting edge, but that's not how a lot of practitioners are trained. And it's not bashing them. It's just not how they're trained. And so I really support people having like an integrative team, finding the resources that help them and, you know, still using their doctors, but just understanding they may not have the answer for everything. Right, exactly. And, it, and the same goes for the people um, listening, which I'm, I'm sure you have encountered this where they are the extreme opposite where they're like, oh, I will never see a doctor. I will never do, oh, absolutely. never do radiology and, or, or radiology. Um, uh, yeah. Radiation. Yeah. Radiation. Oh my God. Yeah. I'm like, what's the word I'm looking for? It starts an R. Radiation. And, uh, and that's fine, right? To each their own. But um, I was I, in a couple months ago where I was actually with Corinne, who we were emailing about. Um, I was at a conference in Hawaii. I was in Kauai and um, there's, Kauai is lovely and it's amazing and wonderful, but there's, there's not a lot of resources in Kauai and I got severe, severe flu. Oh, yeah. And I had to fly home and it was, you know, it's a six hour flight from Kauai to where I live in, in Portland, Oregon. And I ended up in the ER the day I was to fly home and I took everything they gave me. I was like, yes, yep. And they knew, they said, you know, I'm a naturopathic doctor. This is what I do. And they were, so they were great. They were like, ask me, you know, we're, we want to give you this. We want to give you this. We want to give you IV fluids. You know, are you okay with that? I was like, yes. Yeah. I have, I'm throwing up everywhere. I'm super dehydrated. I have to fly home. I will take anything you give me to get me home. Absolutely. And I had posted about it on social media and a couple of people were like, I can't believe you would take those medications. That's so Um, not against your nature. You should have gone to whole foods and gotten, you know, ginger or charcoal or what have you. And I thought, okay, I was, (laughs) I had the severe flu for one. I was vomiting everywhere for two, three, there's no whole foods in Kauai. I can tell you that. And how was I supposed to go get it? Right, right, <laughs> like, right. You know, good for you. I'm glad you travel with all Whole Foods in your back pocket. But right, right. I, I'm sorry. At the, at the moment, I needed I needed standard medical care. I needed that's what I needed. I did not need alternative or holistic or integrative care. And I knew I could just clean it up when I got home. I would just figure it out. But I had well, to as home. I said, if you're having a heart attack, it's not the time to take an herb. <laughs> You know, and and yeah. by the same token, you know, this is this is you know, this is the dance that goes on in my head all the time because I am an ICU nurse at heart. You know, I've taken care of children critically ill who died because they had bacterial infections. If you have bacterial infections, antibiotics exist for a reason. Right. You know, and I uh, that's why I call myself an integrative practitioner because I'm I don't believe in either one of those extremes. They're equally as limiting. I tell people all the time, there's a reason that our lifespan is now 80 and not 40. And that's because (laughs) Western medicine, you know, at the turn of the century, we had alternative only holistic medicine. I mean, there's a lot that we need when it when it comes to Western medicine. It's it's just that it's not the only answer. And unfortunately, Western medicine practitioners can be very close to anything different. But but as you said, alternative practitioners can take the attitude that anything Western is bad. 
And right. I, I find that equally as limiting. There's a I time agree. and place. And yeah. once again, back to my position, the more educated you are, the, uh, the more you can be an advocate for your own health and, and what you need and make an informed choice. And I, I'll, I'll have to say in the same line, <laughs> um, and it, this is my own personal bias, so maybe I'll get emails about this. But, you know, when I hear some of these um, cure your cancer by uh, frozen lemons things going on, <laughs> My first question, and this is truly cynical, and, and yeah, I'm still a little bitter, okay? My first thought is, really, have you had cancer? Are you, will it, this person who's advocating this, are you putting your life on the line? Because I think that that's just a piece of this. When, when, when you get diagnosed, you have cancer. It's like when the loaded gun is pointed at your head, and all of a sudden, everything is much more stark. It's, it's not just a theoretical discussion about what's the best treatment for cancer. It's like, is, is what I'm doing going to kill me? Or if I don't do this, am I going to die? And those are very different questions. And if you're not someone who's ever known that cold, hard reality, then your opinion is just your opinion and more power to you. Mm -hmm. you know? And I don't know a lot. I, I mean, I know some people who would love to go completely alternative in the face of cancer because we all know cancer treatment sucks, mm -hmm. use my language. But the fact is, is I don't know many people who are so um, sure of their position that they're willing to walk away from Western medicine. They're, they're looking for some way to get through it as healthy as possible with as few side effects and to make the best decisions possible. And the fact is Western medicine doesn't have the answer and alternative medicine doesn't have the answer. And so that's why having, you know, this podcast and having you on here today, it's my greatest hope to really empower women with the knowledge to be able to, you know, say, hey, wait a minute, I heard about this test, this Dutch test. What's happening to, you know, my estrogen metabolism? And if your doctor doesn't know, then it's like, well, then, you know, I'm going to find out and I'll bring this back to you. Or hopefully your doctor will be like, I'll learn about that. But if their response is, I haven't heard about it, so don't do it, that, mm -hmm. that's not adequate. Right. And unfortunately, that seems to be a lot of responses to, to anything. You know, people will say, I've heard about, you know, should I try going anything gluten-free? Should I try being gluten-free? Should I try this supplement of, of dim or broccoli sprouts? Well, I don't know anything about it. So, you know, no, no, you shouldn't. It's like, no, hold on. If, if you don't know anything about it, then how can you cast an opinion like that? Well, I think, you know, in the, in the work that I do, this comes up with supplements. I, I actually had an oncologist tell me recently, I don't have a problem with what you do, but don't interfere with my chemo. I'm like, your chemo? <laughs> you know, I, I was being a little tongue-in-cheek, but, you know, as I tell people, I was a bossy ICU nurse. And I, I was like, I didn't know you were on chemo. I, you know, that's a – and he's like, oh, no, I, I, I mean what I'm prescribing. And it's like, oh, the patient's experience is what you're talking about. And his thing was, don't take any supplements. Well, we have clinical evidence that supplements, nutrition, that these things make a difference in the growth, the acceleration. And I'm not talking about cure. It's always like, is this going to cure cancer? Maybe, maybe not. I, I don't know. But, but we know that there are things that impact our overall health. And of course, they ex impact our overall experience of cancer or dealing with the side effects or recovering from the side effects, which we've talked a lot about. It's not just, you know, a, a black or white decision. And I think too often it's presented that way. I, yeah, I would totally agree. Yep. And one of the things we didn't talk about, and I guess I'll have to have you back because I could talk to you all day and hog all your time. I'm, <laughs> sure you have, I'm sure you have other things to do. If our listeners take nothing from this, it's please understand that estrogen is a complicated metabolic pathway. And there are many estrogens. And, and our current medical system of just testing one to see if you're 
I, I, I'm going to do a whole piece on mighty, mighty estrogen. It's like estrogen, <laughs> estrogen's bad. You know, it's like estrogen gives you cancer. Estrogen is bad in menopause. So let's give you more. And then that increases your chances of, you know, estrogen driven cancers and estrogen's too low or estrogen's too high. One of the things that I heard years ago, and it stays with me as I do this work more and more, is I heard a doctor say that women who are, I guess now would be in their late 30s and 40s, is the first generation of women who have never experienced their own hormonal rhythm. It's been manipulated by birth control pills and, you know, estrogen-based medications for so long mm-hmm. that, that the whole world of women uh, basically below the age of 40 or in their 40s are now perhaps for the first time figuring out where their hormones are and it's been artificially driven. It's never been something where they've even established their own cycle, which I think is contributing to a lot of the, the uh, hormone-related problems that women are having. And, you know, it's like estrogen, you know, I mean, birth control pills are, are made from artificial estrogens and progestins and chemical-based art, artificial estrogens and progestins. And, you know, we're starting those when you're teenagers. And it, and it affects this whole thing. It's like, let's drive estrogen up. Let's drive estrogen down. Let's, it's always manipulation. And what the Dutch does is like, let's figure out what's happening because yeah. there's, you know, it's like a flower. There's like, there's like many, many, many different petals of this and particularly how it balances against progesterone, which is one of the podcasts on that, but affects bone health, affects estrogen balance. You know, there's so many things to understand. And, and this Dutch test just is such a, it's the most comprehensive test that I've experienced so far that really helps explain that. And, and I love to, you know, the reason I wanted to specifically ask about aromatase inhibitors is because I did have a doctor say to me, well, women don't have any estrogen anyway, so who cares if you're looking at the metabolism of it? Yeah, it makes me so irritated. <laughs> right. It's like, it's like we always, I mean, of course, if you take these medications, the level of estrogen is going to be different, but you never completely shut down. Yep. Or should you completely ever shut down estrogen in the body? It's not the demon that's giving you cancer. It's a factor in the proliferation of cancer. And the more right. we can understand some of these metabolites that you've been talking about, the better we can like maybe target how to approach that. So speaking of, I just wanted to to say that one sort of last thing about DIM, and I've said earlier, there's some caveats to DIM, that DIM can lower estrogen. So if you are a woman and you already have really low estrogen, be aware that if you choose or you talk with your doctor about going on DIM, it can make your estrogen levels even lower. It pulls estrogen out of circulation and pushes it down that um, less carcinogenic that two pathway. So if you're estrogen dominant or you have plenty of estrogen floating around, maybe not so bad, but if you're pretty deficient, you could make yourself even more deficient and more symptomatic. So then people go, well, well now what do I do? So I'm like, well, I talked about that phase two for the ability to get the body to from phase one over to phase two, which is where it neutralizes it. And there's a number of supplements that help um, encourage um, the phase two movement. And so I tell people, instead of dim, like focus more over there uh, on phase two or focus on the gut. That's another big one. Your body gets rid of estrogen through your poop also. And right. if you have, you know, a lot of, you know, IBS and constipation or, you know, gut issues, then you're going to have a really tough time clearing out your estrogen, especially if you're a, a low fiber diet or you, you have a really um, strong history of antibiotic use because you've, you've killed off all your good gut bacteria. You know, if you, if you work with your practitioner to get your gut healthy again, you know, especially post-chemo and even radiation, um, that can make a world of difference as well. 
Yeah, it's funny. Um, I just had a colleague of mine, and um, she works in the field of women's hormones. She just called me a couple days ago for a consult, and she's like, um, I have this woman, and her estrogen is so low, and one of her practitioners has her taking a ton of DIM, and I think it's driving her estrogen to be non-existent. And it's, it, I, my friend is going to love hearing you say that. <laughs> oh, we talked about, but it's, but it just goes back to that thing that just because it's natural doesn't mean that it's always the best thing for you or right or whatever. It's, you know, natural supplements have effects too. That's why we take them. And, and if you're not using them correctly, you know, that can be giving you something that you, you, you shouldn't be experiencing. Again, coming back to the beauty of this test is you, I think, uh, you have a phrase and, and the woman that I study with has a phrase of test don't guess. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is, you know, I think when it comes to the whole world of um, breast cancer, hormones are really the base conversation. So, you know, this, this test, <clears throat> in closing, I want to talk a little bit about the test, which is, um, it's called the Dutch test, as we've talked about, and people um, can access that. You can find a practitioner who provides it. You know, I actually do that testing for people. And um, I want Yeah, they should call you. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, and then I, I call you or your other doctor, you know, to, I, I do that frequently to, because it's so multifactorial that, you know, I'll be looking at something and then, you know, one you or, or the um, doctor that I frequently talk to will bring up something and I'll be like, oh yeah, you know, because there's always something to learn. But this is just, I, I think that every woman going through this would benefit from doing this kind of testing. And I have to say that I don't know many insurance companies that pay for it. So it's an out-of-pocket test. But what I tell people is like, when you look at your allocation of resources and look at what's going to move you further down this this recovery path, this, if nothing more than a baseline, gives you such important information. It just gives you a place to start instead of trying to guess, is this going to help me or is that going to help me? Or somebody sent me an article to take this or that. I do want to mention that the Dutch test keeps growing in terms of the information that it gives. So I'd like in closing for you to be able to tell us about, you know, how people can access it, your information and, and some of the some of the stuff that you're doing moving forward in terms of, of making the Dutch test even better. Yeah, absolutely. So our website is, it's easy. It's dutchtest.com, all one word, dutchtest.com. And everything on there, all our education, all our videos, our webinars, everything is free. So even if you don't have any kind of um, health background, you're just getting into this and, and want to learn, you are more than welcome to watch anything, flip through anything, read the blog and, um, and, and just, and just learn. And if you, if you get a test, if you, if you order a test, even the educational videos, where we explain what the test means. Um, we don't explain treatments because we're a lab. We're not a, we're not a treatment facility. But, um, you know, just to understand like, huh, my estrogens look like this. Okay, I'll, I'll watch the estrogen video and, and, and learn what that can mean. Or, oh, wow, my testosterone and my DHEA look like this. I wonder what that means. And you can click the video for women and, and find out what it means for testosterone and, and DHEA. And the same for the adrenals, which is which is really helpful for, for people just to understand, like, I'm so tired. Is it really my cortisol or is it something else? And, you know, one of the things we launched this year, 2018, we launched, they're called organic acid markers. And one of the organic acid markers, uh, or two, I should say, one is um, norepinephrine and epinephrine. Mm-hmm. which is part of your adrenal glands. And right. so, um, and then we've launched a bunch of other ones. Like there's a marker for B12. There's a marker for vitamin B6. 
there's a marker for. Um, your dopamine, which is which is your big you know brain hormone that has to do with reward and addiction. And so you can kind of get gain these other insights in there too. Melatonin, which I had talked about earlier, and you can be like, oh my gosh, I need you know my B12 is low, or oh my gosh, my B6 is low, or Oh, no wonder I'm tired. My, my adrenaline is low. <laughs> like, right. I literally have no oomph. <laughs> I have no fight or flight. And so then you can, you can work with a practitioner to really help sort of get you back into balance. Well, okay. I will let you go. I, <laughs> I, as I said, we could, I, there's so many things. I've got like a list of things. I'm like, oh, I'll just have to have you back. <laughs> so, I would be honored. I would love to. <laughs> um, but thank you so much. I really believe that if there's anything that's, that's revolutionary for women who are struggling with these decisions around hormone. Now, let's face it, tamoxifen, surgery, Lupron, aromatase inhibitors, it's manipulating your hormones. Mm -hmm. For good or bad, that's what it's doing. So the more you can understand your body, where you're at, in terms of those hormones. And then, as you said, reassessing periodically to see the effect that these treatments are having just gives you that much more power to know um, and to have informed conversations with your providers about what is right for you. Because it's not going to be the same thing that is right for everyone else. It's, it's very individual. Absolutely. And that's what we believe in, right? Individualized care. You are your own person. Right. Dr. Jones, thank you so much. This has just been wonderful. And I know this is going to be one of my longer podcasts and I don't care because it's just, I think all of this is just so necessary. So thank you so much. Well, thank you so much. Absolutely. Absolutely. And to my listeners, thank you for joining us today. As you can tell, hormones are complicated. I don't believe I've ever had this kind of detailed, intense conversation with my doctors as, as I've been able to have with Dr. Jones and learn from her. She's just such a great resource. And so is this test. I really want to emphasize that this is state-of-the-art testing and something that I think every woman could benefit from, but particularly if you're making decisions around hormone management in the case of breast cancer treatment, often hormone blocking. So you can actually find out more information at dutchtest.com. And you can also order testing and interpretation on my website, which is www.mindbodynutritionrn.com. I have a package on there just for the test and interpretation for you. That's one thing that I'd like to emphasize, that if you go to your regular doctor, they may not know about this test. As I said, it's state of the art. Uh, it is frequently used by integrative practitioners. I don't know about traditional practitioners, but I haven't encountered that too often. So they may or may not know about it. And even if they were able to access it, you have to talk to them and make sure they're able to interpret it because it is an extensive test. Uh, there's many pages of interpretation. So you really need to find a practitioner who can do that and who has experience and knowledge. With that being said, I'd like to close today's show, letting you know that there's a number of resources that you can find at www.mindbodynutritionrn.com. I actually have a free guide on there that actually talks about estrogen blocking medications and important things to know. You can schedule a free consult and you can certainly send me an email at radicalhealthrn.com. In terms of the whole podcasting world, please consider subscribing at iTunes and leaving a review. It helps in the whole iTunes world business that I don't know much about, but that's what I've heard anyway. So thanks for joining me today. And until next time, take care. 
Thanks for listening. If you have questions or feedback, you can reach Deborah at RadicalHealthRN at gmail.com or her website, www.MindBodyNutritionRN.com. You can also find us on Facebook under Boobs Aren't Worth Dying For. For future episodes, subscribe on iTunes, where you can also leave positive reviews. Until next time.